lost everything everything was gone even though the land was there even though houses and buildings were there even though uh, you know vineyards and olive groves were there even though they had all everything you know everything that needed was that was a fertile land was a land with a lot of natural resources but even even though they had everything they could not enjoy it they could not you know uh, use it for themselves they could not you know use it for their livelihood for their families they could not live there they could not enjoy it they could not be blessed they could not really uh, experience that goodness and the blessing of god upon their lives they had lost everything even though they had everything it's possible for a generation to lose everything even though everything is still there are you hearing what i'm talking about even though you may have wealth and prosperity and properties and buildings and houses and uh, you know men servants and maid servants cattle and sheep whatever you may have we can have everything and still be at a place where we have nothing and many people have gone to that place in their lives where they have everything but their life is as good as if they have nothing life has been sapped life has been taken away life has been destroyed life has come to a standstill life is completely broken down they've been completely displaced from their homeland they've been completely displaced from all the inheritances they thought they will enjoy forever what a sad situation very very sad situation but and and look at what they're saying but see today we are slaves today look at the condition of our lives this is where it has taken them intergenerationally the inheritance did not get transferred even though it got transferred by name from father to son son to grandson it got transferred by name but none of them could have anything so what do we do to truly have an inter- intergenerational transfer of heritage i'm not just talking about buildings and lands and properties i'm talking about life a life that will be prosperous a life that will be blessed a life that is beyond earthly things to have a life as how it is good today to have that same thing transferred for the next generation today you are together as a family today you are together whole and healthy Today you are together happy and joyful. Today you are together enjoying all the spiritual blessings, earthly, financial, you know, every blessing that God has given. How can we ensure that we are transferring that blessed life to the next generation and to their generations to come? That's very important. because there can come a generation that would not know god we read about that in the book of judges there came a generation that did not know god they did not know what god had done for their ancestors in egypt and so the last verse of judges says each man did as 
seem fit in his own eyes. Each man did whatever he thought was right in his own eyes. And so as a result of that came this destruction. As a result of this came the slavery. As a result of this came the displacement. As a result of that came the loss of living. The loss of joyful living. As a result of that came the lack of blessing. As a result of that came the destruction of their joyful and happy life. Everything was stolen away. Everything was stolen away. Very often it is very, very sad to see that there are some who, are, who suffer the consequences of the sins of their forefathers. When you see that, it is very, very sad. Sometimes it's not their fault. But because of the sins of the forefathers, it comes upon them as a curse from generation to generation. From generation to generation. I pray this morning that none of us seated here will come under a curse that will get transferred from generation to generation. That we will not be the cause of a curse that can come upon the generations to come. But the good news is if you say or if you sense in your heart that probably I am suffering a curse because of the sins of my forefathers, I want you to know when you commit your life to Christ, every sin is broken. Hallelujah. Every high thing must come down. Every stronghold is broken. And we overcome. Hallelujah. We overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony, the Bible says. The blood of Jesus causes us to overcome that curse, to break that chain of curse. The cross. The cross is something which was a symbol of curse. Today we wear the cross so beautifully. And we look, uh, <laughs> we look at those jewelry shops and you know, the, all of the display of the nice uh, chains and the crosses and everything there. And we like to get one very nice pretty one and have them. <laughs> you know, that's, that's not something very beautiful actually. The cross is actually not a very... Beautiful, nice symbol. It's a symbol of execution. It's a symbol of capital punishment. <laughs> you know, have you seen the news where people are hung? You know, that news? It's something like that. Would somebody wear that as a symbol on their chain or around their neck? But that symbol which was a symbol of curse, that symbol which was a symbol of punishment became a symbol of joy that should be worn around the neck. <laughs> Why? Because of Jesus. Hallelujah. Because of who Jesus was and that he paid the penalty for us, all our sins and he took upon himself all our sins and our curses and all the sickness and everything that the devil brought against us and everything that stood opposed to us, Jesus broke it on the cross when he died and rose again. Hallelujah. And this morning, if you are a believer on the Lord Jesus and you've accepted him, him into your heart and if you made a covenant with him in the waters of baptism, 
you've made an agreement with him that you will be faithful to him and he has already done his part of the agreement of dying on the cross and he is faithful if you've committed your life to him that curse has already been broken somebody needs to shout amen, amen. hallelujah and amen with faith amen, amen. hallelujah whatever been the sins of the past the sins of our own lives what we have done in ignorance or with full knowledge <laughs> what sins our forefathers have committed sins of idolatry sins of adultery sins of uh, all kinds of evil whatever they may be when you have come to christ all that sin and the curse and the chain of curse has been broken on the cross hallelujah and so today you and i as a child of god can ensure that we can transfer intergenerational blessing <laughs> upon the generations to come hallelujah amen praise the lord how many of us want to see that happen for our generations amen do you love it praise god none of us want to see our children or our grandchildren you know or even the ones who are yet to be born to come under any kind of suffering or curse we want to see them to be blessed but it's important that we recognize this morning who god is number three things i'm going to talk to us about from this passage that we find that enables intergenerational transfer of blessing number one it's god's faithfulness <laughs> without god there's no blessing without god in our lives there's no blessing without his goodness there's no blessing god is faithful number one number two from this passage we read man must follow faithfully man must follow god faithfully we have a responsibility a responsibility to follow him faithfully and number three blessings are conditional salvation is unconditional it just takes faith and it's purely because of his grace the blessings are conditional god wants us god has given us a set of instructions god has given us laws and commands god has given us the teaching uh, for the way of life as how we ought to live the bible is full of teaching of how his people the set apart people of god must live before this world the bible is full of that and here god is calling us to live in such a manner where he can always bless to live in such a manner where he can always bless are you ready for that amen praise the lord quickly number 1 let's look at how god is faithful verse 32 and 33 from the same passage we read now therefore our god the great god mighty and awesome who keeps his covenant of love who keeps his covenant of love covenant is a promise that cannot be broken that will not be broken he keeps his covenant of love do not let all the hardship seem trifling in your eyes the hardship that has come on us our kings our leaders on our priests and prophets on our ancestors and all your people from the days of the kings of assyria until today verse 33 in all that has happened to us you have remained righteous you have acted faithfully while we acted wickedly you have been faithful to keep your covenant of love you have been righteous you have acted faithfully god is a faithful god let's talk about god's faithfulness 
the intergenerational transfer of blessing comes because of purely firstly because of god's faithfulness it's not because we have proven ourselves to be right and now we can fight for our rights <laughs> we have never been perfect and we will never be on this side of heaven but god wants us to strive god wants us to persist God wants us to grow. God wants us to move towards perfection. God wants us to overcome sin. God does not intend for us as his children to live presumptuously in sin. God is faithful. Now when we talk about God's faithfulness, it is not a matter of just fulfilling and keeping promises and obligations in a dry duty conscious mode. Hear me well. He's not saying, "Okay, what to do i've made some promises let me for heaven's sake keep them and so here it is come on have it otherwise uh, somebody would find fault with me and so he's not a duty conscious in a duty conscious mode you know sometimes we are faithful that way isn't it we try to be good in a duty conscious mode let me do all of these obligations otherwise he's going to come and yell at me and when after i had done everything i can say i've done everything right so he can't question me on any matter doing everything right done because i don't want anyone to point a finger at me and i'm not going to give a chance for anyone to bring any accusation and so just as a matter of duty do it sometimes we do it in our workplaces and then <laughs> so duty what to do just get it done so that nobody will question you but god is not faithful to us in a duty conscious mode do you understand what i'm talking about but rather it is a faithfulness in the context of a personal loving relationship with us he's faithful to us because he loves us some of us hate our boss but obey his orders now you understand better <laughs> we hate the company but we do what is required to do we fulfill the obligations because at the end of the day we await the paycheck <laughs> because at the end of the day we do not want a negative rating we want to get through in the appraisal we want to you know get a pass mark <laughs> we want to scrape through and so as in a just simple duty conscious mode you can be faithful but god is not faithful to us in a duty conscious mode just to do some obligations and get away and run away from us but he is faithful to us because he loves us very much hallelujah it his faithfulness is very much in the context of a relationship with us a personal loving relationship is in the context of restoring the people of israel as one who is faithful even though they had acted wickedly even though they had gone away from him he is faithful to them because he loves them he's chosen them they are his he's come into a relationship with them he has made a covenant with them he was the initiator of the covenant and he is faithful to his covenant because he has loved them as his own you'll understand as we go on a little further read with me in jeremiah chapter 31 and verse 3 jeremiah 31:3 
The Lord appeared to us in the past saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with unfailing kindness. God is faithful because of his everlasting love. Because of his unfailing kindness. Because of his love, he is faithful. Read with me back in Exodus chapter 4, verse 22 and 23. Exodus 4, 22 and 23. We're going to look at several verses very quickly. Then say to Pharaoh, this is what the Lord says, Israel is my firstborn. Exodus 4, 22, 23. Israel is my firstborn and I told you let my son go he may worship me but you refuse to let him go so I will kill your firstborn son God who loves his people and his chosen people like his own children firstborn he's a zealous God he takes full ownership of us he says I'm going to be faithful to you to bless you and to bless the generations to come because I'm a God who is faithful. Faithful not just in duty conscious mode but faithful because I love you. Because you are my child. Because Israel is my firstborn. And so anybody touches my firstborn. He says you are the apple of my eye. He's such a zealous God. He takes complete ownership. Read with me in Jeremiah chapter 31 and verse 9. Jeremiah 31 9 they will come with weeping they will pray as I bring them back here again in the context of bringing back the people of Israel from captivity to the promised land to their homeland they will come with weeping they will pray as I bring them back I will lead them beside streams of water on a level path where they will not stumble because I am Israel's father in Exodus he says Israel is my Firstborn. In Jeremiah he says, Israel, I am your father. And Ephraim is my firstborn son. He takes responsibility as a father. I'm going to bring you back to your homeland. I'm going to restore you. I'm going to bring an intergenerational blessing. What you have lost, what has come to you as a curse generationally is going to be turned around because I am faithful to you as a father. As one who takes responsibility and who does, who cannot see the sufferings of his children. A father would never want to see the suffering of a child. Our heavenly fathers. The Bible says that in this world, your father and mother may forsake you. But I will never forsake you. He's a heavenly father. Hallelujah. Sometimes we wonder, how can that be true? How can a earth own father and mother forsake a child? But that's true in some places. There are some people who hardened their hearts so much, who've given themselves over to such sin that their hearts have been hardened even to their own children. There was a woman who killed her own children recently. It was on the news. Jeremiah chapter 31 and verse number 10. Read verse 10. Hear the word of the Lord, you nations. Proclaim it in distant coastlands. He who scattered Israel will gather them and will watch over his flock like a shepherd. Oh, he's not just uh, uh, calling Israel as his firstborn. He's not just saying, I am the father 
for Israel. But he also goes on to say, I am like a shepherd. And they are like sheep. Like a shepherd who cares for the sheep. Like a caring owner. He watches over them. He will watch over his flock like a shepherd. And then come to Isaiah 62 and verse 5. Isaiah 62, 5. God is faithful, but his faithfulness is because of how he relates with his people. As a bridegroom, he relates here in Isaiah 62 and verse 5. As a young man marries a young woman, so will your builder marry you. As a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so will your God rejoice over you. How strong is the love of a bridegroom towards his bride? That's the way God loves his people. And he says, I'm going to build you because I love you like a bridegroom who loves his bride. Not only that, Matthew 23 and verse 37. Matthew 23 and 37. As he calls out to Jerusalem, Jesus before he went to the cross, Matthew 23, 37. Jerusalem, Jerusalem. You who kill the prophets and, and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. So you were not willing. And you were not willing. As a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, so does God gather. When the eagle comes, you know, to pray over the young ones, and the, immediately the hen goes and gathers all her chicks under her wings and guards and protects her young ones. That's how God loves us. When we say God is faithful, he's faithful because he loves us as his own children. Because he, he loves us because he, he relates with us as his own, as our own father. He looks at us as his children and as he takes a position as a father. And not only that, as a caring owner, like shepherd carrying over, watching over the flock. And then as a lover, as a bridegroom loving the wife, he loves us so dearly. As a hen gathers the chicks and protects from the eagle, so does God love us. And so God's faithfulness is completely relational. Hallelujah. It's because of this loving relationship that he has with us. He loves us so dearly. It's important that we recognize that God loves us. We need to realize that God loves us. In spite of who we are, in spite of whatever we have done, in spite of how much we have gone away from him, in spite of how many wicked things we have done that displeased him, yet he loves us the same way. Just as he loves, you know, as much as there's a love between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Just as the way there is a loving relationship in the community of the Trinity, the same way there is a love relationship with us. That's how He looks at us. That's how He loves us. That's how He cares for us. That's how He watches over us. That's how He's so much drawn towards us. That's how His eyes are watching over us. And so God is faithful. God's faithfulness is very relational. Not legalistically logical, ruthlessly loyal, and meticulously careful. You know, some people relate with people that way. You know, very legalistic way. Oh, he's my boss, so I have to respect him. Yes, sir. You know, he's my boss, so I bow down to him. Very, 
you know, loyally. I will show complete loyalty as far as 9 to 5. I am under his roof. And so I will show complete loyalty. I will bow down to whatever he says. And then I will be very meticulous and careful in his presence. And so I will not do anything wrong. I will not keep anything carelessly. Because he is in my presence, I will keep everything very carefully. I will be very faithful. And then this person will earn a very good name. You know? But everybody around will say, he's just faking it. He's just faking it. He's put on a mask. Nine to five, he just puts on a mask. God is not like that. Are you with me this morning? Hallelujah. God is not like that. God is not faithful to us that no one should find fault with him. His faithfulness is not about considering how much he will benefit. His faithfulness is about considering how much we will benefit. Hallelujah. His faithfulness is not about a, 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 a subordinate is very loyal. A subordinate is very respectful. A subordinate is very legalistically correct in whatever he does. A subordinate is very meticulously careful in everything. Why? Because at the end of the day, he's got his own selfish agenda. That he will benefit as a result of that. That he will win a good name. That he, his reputation will go up. That he will you know, find favor in the eyes of the superiors. And finally, he will get a promotion or he will get a better you know, paycheck. But God's faithfulness to us is not like that. It's not in consideration with his, how much he will benefit. It's in considering how much we will benefit. So he is faithful. Hallelujah. Amen. So when we're talking about how God wants to bless us intergenerationally and how we can ensure that intergenerationally God's faithfulness and goodness and blessings will get transferred, it's primarily, fundamentally, because God is faithful. It's not because of our good works alone. Firstly, it's because He is faithful. In spite of our wickedness, in spite of our folly, in spite of our, you know, uh, foolishness, in spite of all that we have done, in spite of how far we have strayed away from Him, yet He continues to be faithful. God is faithful. But that does not mean that we can live irresponsibly. That puts us into greater responsibility. That's point number two, verse 34 and 35. Man has to live responsibly and faithfully. Verse 34, 35. Our kings, our leaders, our priests and our ancestors. We are talking about Nehemiah 9, 34, 35. Nehemiah 9, 34, 35. Back to the text. Our kings, our leaders, our priests and our ancestors did not follow your law. They did not pay attention to your commands or the statutes you want them to keep. Even while they were in their kingdom, enjoying your great goodness to them in the spacious and fertile land you gave them, they do not serve you or turn from their evil ways. This is what was a cause. They have recognized the cause for why they are suffering. They have recognized the cause why the blessings of God has not been transferred intergenerationally. Why they have lost it somewhere along the way, even though their forefathers were promised, you know, with such great blessings. And a covenant was made that the blessings of God will continue for generations to come. They've identified. There are few areas they've identified to be careful and to sit right. 
let's look at only a few of them scripture is full of them but we can just look at only those things that these people did to set right nehemiah chapter 9 and verse 3 they stood where they were and read from the book of the law of the lord their god for a quarter of the day and spend another they spent another quarter in confession and in worshiping the lord their god how many hours is a quarter of a day hmm 6 hours quarter of a day first quarter what did they do they read from the book of the law of their god for a quarter of the day and spent another quarter huh yeah some people only know you know slicing of half chicken and having two quarters for each of them but a quarter of a day to read scriptures quarter of a day what do they do confession and that's the prayer that we are reading confession and in worshiping the lord their god and here is a pledge that they are promising to do in verse uh, in the same chapter verse 38 come down to nehemiah 9 30 In view of all this we are making a binding agreement putting it in writing and our leaders and our levites and our priests are affixing their seals to it they went they got a stamp paper they put it in writing they filed an affidavit huh they got the tahsildar who else is there rdo they got the revenue officer they got the commissioner everybody to put their seal on it we are putting a binding agreement we are making a binding agreement putting it in writing we are not just saying empty words and going away we are not just saying oh god we love you oh god we you know you know we have come to you we have forsaken our sins they are not just making some empty promises to god they are saying we are going to put down in writing they are dead serious about it saying oh all this we have lost we are in such a sad state today because of our ancestors and we don't want to continue in this again hallelujah somebody needs to take that radical decision this morning to say we are not going to allow any of the you know curses that were operating in the lives of our forefathers we're not going to let any of those troubles any of those problems any of those sickness any of those demonic oppressions any of that witchcraft any of that evil any of the false behaviors and the you know the uh, duplicity that was there in the lives of our forefathers we're not going to let any of them come into our lives somebody needs to take that radical decision this morning hallelujah we're not going to let that affect us we're not going to let that affect our children amen if there's somebody who will take such a stern decision this morning a, a decisive decision a decision that says we're going to put it in writing we're going to put seals on it we're going to say we're making a binding agreement with god hallelujah in fact baptism is that it's making that agreement that covenant with god saying god i want i'm going to be faithful to you all the days of my life till the last breath of my life i turn away from sin i renounce sin i renounce the old ways i renounce the culture of our family that is contrary to scriptures there'll be cultural habits cultural practices there'll be cultural beliefs superstitious beliefs of all kinds 
today if you have to look for a wedding proposal and then you begin a conversation to fix a marriage the first thing that people will do is take the calendar out they will say oh, which is a good day what is a good time 6 am good time 6 pm on tuesday evening also is good time 8 pm on friday night also is a good time hallelujah amen no moon day also is a good time aadi month also is a good time margali month also december is a good time you can buy a house you can move into a house you can marry you can bury the dead they don't find good time for that you can do everything every day every season every month everything is a good time because our times are in his hands hallelujah god created time god created the day and the night god created the days monday tuesday wednesday thursday friday saturday god created every day and whatever god created he said it is good hallelujah praise the lord how can what god said it is good become bad and they made a binding agreement and said we're not going to get back to anything of what our forefathers have been doing and one of the reasons why god told them not to intermarry with the nations around is because those those who are who do not follow god will bring in their beliefs and their practices and their culture and their uh, traditions and their superstitious beliefs their rituals their customary practices and everything and corrupt the people of god god wanted to set apart a people for himself and so he gave them instructions as to how they ought to live that's why he gave them so much laws he gave he gave them civil laws he gave them ceremonial laws he gave them you know all kinds of laws criminal laws everything the bible is one of the greatest law books why did he give them so that they will learn how they ought to live before this world so that they will be guarding themselves from the cultures and the influences of the evil practices of the people around them and so they make this promise and some of the key things that they make a promise let's quickly read nehemiah chapter 10 verse 30 to 32 the first thing that they turned around they made an agreement about is this number 1 not to intermarry we pr- te- nehemiah 10:30 to 32 we promise not to give our daughters in marriage to the peoples around us or take their daughters for our sons we are not going to marry or give in marriage to those to the peoples around us i mean if you are a believer if you are a child of god if you given your life to christ you never go marry an unbeliever i mean they may have a christian name they may uh, uh, have a christian culture they may have christian traditions and forms they may have christian uh, 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 you know uh, festivals that they will celebrate they will chris- sing christian songs that don't make a person a believer on the lord jesus they may give tithes and offerings they may be a member in a church they may even marry and be buried and do every kind of a ceremony in the church 
but that does not qualify a person to be a Christian, a believer. The Bible talks about who a Christian is. A Christian, a believer, is a disciple of Jesus. Acts 11.26 says that. The disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. The disciples. A disciple is the one who learns the word of God. The disciple is one who lives the word of God. A disciple is also one who teaches the word to others. Who is learning, living, and teaching. Learning, living, and teaching. That's a good disciple. And the disciples, that's what the disciples did. So you need to look at def defining who a Christian is the biblical way. And not the Christian cultural way. And so if you have to look for a suitable partner for yourself or for, uh, uh, you know, your child, your son, your daughter, make sure that you're marrying someone who's a believer. By that what we mean a Christian, by that what we mean, we need to qualify the word Christian because everybody who has a Christian name, if you go to the West, you go to Europe, you go to um, the US or any, you know, ancient Christian nations, the so-called Christian nations, which no longer are Christian by any way, uh, you know, uh, in any definition of the word Christian, you will find everybody has a Christian name. You'll have Peter and John and James and Matthew and Bartholomew and, you know, Esther and Mary and every Christian name will be there. But that don't make a person a Christian. What makes a person a Christian is that the person must be a disciple of Jesus, a fully devoted follower of Jesus, living in this dynamic, loving relationship with Jesus, living, learning and teaching the word of God. Amen. That's who the disciples were. And the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. And so get married to someone who is a true believer, a true Christian according to scriptures. The problem was they intermarried. That is why they lost. That's where they lost their blessings. That's where the blessings did not continue intergenerationally. That's where they could not enjoy God's favor. That's why God banished them to their enemies. Maybe you can be accusing and regretting and looking at your generation's past that has gone by and say, oh, they were that way and that's why I'm suffering as a result of that. But I, as we already talked about it, that because we have come to Christ, that curse is broken. And so from now on, we can make sure that we are not making those mistakes. Amen. Whatever is in our power to do, we should ensure that we're doing it right. Secondly, keeping the Sabbath holy Nehemiah chapter 10, 30 to 32, we see all of this. Keeping the Sabbath holy, taking time to be part in God's presence, to be in the presence of God, to seek Him, to set apart a time to seek Him and to rest. When the neighboring peoples bring merchandise or grain to sell on the Sabbath, we will not buy them, buy from them on the Sabbath or any, on any holy day. Every seventh year, we will forego working the land and will cancel all debts. We assume the responsibility for carrying out the commands to give a third of a shekel each year for the service of the house of our God. They wanted, they pledged themselves to keep the Sabbath. They wanted to be there when the people of God were gathering together. Today, we live in a world where people are extremely busy with their own world in their own sphere of things that, you know, in the circle of things that whatever they are doing, they're going about place to place. Things to do are too many on the list. Multitasking is the order of the day. And with multitasking, loyalty diminishes. 
with multitasking. You're never faithful to anything when you do too many things. And so it's important that we're careful to choose what is the one important thing of our life that we should focus on and not put our hands and our heads into everything and run for everybody and be all over the place all the time. Sometimes people can draw us here and there and suck our energy out and finally we can we will not be building our lives. Yes, it's important that we serve others. It's important that we love others. But it's important that we have a good balance of a Sabbath, a personal Sabbath, a time of rest, a time where we sit in the presence of God, a time where we seek the Lord. And that was a prophetic word that we received this morning, that as we seek the Lord, you know, personally, and when we are patient, patiently waiting in, at His feet, it is not just keep, keeping quiet and waiting, but waiting at His feet. Then God will give us a blessing. Hallelujah. Amen. So we need to recognize that these are important things that we must follow. Yes, God is faithful, but God wants us to be faithful. There's a responsibility on our part as well. And then he goes on to talk about verse 35 to 36, bringing the first fruits. We also assume responsibility for bringing to the house of the Lord each year the first fruits of our crops and of every fruit tree. And then giving the firstborn. As it is also written in the law, we will bring the firstborn of our sons and of our cattle, of our herds and of our flocks to the house of our God, to the priests ministering there. Basically, the whole idea is not to neglect the house of God, the community of God's people. That we, our heart, our identity, our sense of belonging should be with the people of God. And so they are committing themselves, they are agreeing to put it in writing that we will be careful to follow all of these laws. Also in Nehemiah chapter 10 verse 39, the people of Israel including the Levites ought to bring their contributions of grain, new wine, olive oil to the storerooms where the articles of the sanctuary and for the ministering priests, the gatekeepers and the musicians are also kept. We will not neglect the house of our God. We will not neglect the house of our God. God always was gathering his people together as a community, as a family of God. The idea of community as his people, you know, as set apart people being together is right from the beginning. He set apart his people for himself. A membership in a church is not about a matter of convenience for the sake of all good and bad things that we need a padre to come and do everything for us. That's the kind of mindset with, me, with which many people have a membership. Pay off that 30 rupees once a year. So that name will be in the records. So for anything, we will get some service. One fellow said his father never came to church and he was in, almost in a dying stage in the ICU. And he said, my, you know, I've paid membership for my father, then so you should come and pray in the hospital. So at least some, you should get some four or five people to come and sit there and pray the whole day because we paid membership for the father who never came to church. That's not the idea of church. The idea of church is that we are the people of God as a community of God's people, as a household of God, as a family of God. Living together, doing life together, being there for one another, praying for one another, encouraging one another, building each other up, strengthening one another, ministering to one another, rejoicing when they rejoice, mourning when they mourn. Amen. 
Hallelujah. That's the community of God's people that God wants us to, you know, uh, hold on to and to be faithful to. First Timothy chapter 3 also we find the same idea is repeated also in the New Testament. First Timothy chapter 3 and verse 14 to 15. When Paul is writing Timothy and Timothy is leading the church at Ephesus. And he's giving some instructions to Timothy as to how he ought to conduct himself and to conduct the household of God. And he says in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verses 14 and 15, Although I hope to come to you soon, Timothy, I am writing you these instructions so that if I am delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the foundation of the truth. I'm writing Timothy this letter to you so that people so that people will know how they ought to conduct themselves as a household of God, as a family of God, as a house of God, as a family, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of truth. Why has he put us together as a house of God, as a church of God, as a people of God together? Why church is not man's idea, church is God's idea. Jesus said, I will build my church. And right from Exodus 19 and verse 6, God said, I've set about this people for me to be a kingdom of priests. They will be my people. It's not just to set about some people to be priests, but the whole kingdom of Israel shall be a kingdom of priests. That they will serve him. He set apart the people right at the beginning and continues to set apart people for himself even today. And that's the commission that he has given to us as disciples to continue to do that today. To set apart more people for himself until Jesus comes again for all eternity. And so as we set apart people and we are together as his people, we become the pillar and foundation of truth. Where is truth found in the world today? Truth is found among God's people. Truth is practiced by God's people. Truth is preached by God's people. Truth is propagated. Truth is passed on intergenerationally by God's people. And so it's important that we commit ourselves to the house of God, to the people of God, to this community of God's people where he dwells by his spirit. You find that in Ephesians chapter 2. We don't have time to read that now. Where God dwells by his spirit in his church, amongst his people. Why we need to be committed to one another is because this is what God is building. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it, it said. And when, why is God building his church, his community of, you know, his people? Because he wants them to be the pillar and foundation of truth in this world. Hallelujah. Only when we are together, we will be built up in the truth. We will be built up in the teachings of scriptures. We will be able to grow together. We will help and nurture the growth of each other. We are all joined together, the Bible says, as one family, as one building, and we grow together. In 2 Peter chapter 3 also, verses 1 and 2, as we are together, we begin to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets. 2 Peter 3 verse 1 and 2. Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. I have written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets. Referring to the old covenant, the whole testament. And the command given by our Lord and Savior Jesus through the apostles. The apostles wrote both the letters and the Gospels and all of the commands that were given by them, was taught by them to the churches. I want you to recall all of these things. 
and peter is writing to the church the churches several churches he's writing to them saying i want you to recall i want you to remember i want you to put them into practice both what was spoken by the holy prophets and the commands of our savior jesus taught through the apostles recall all of them this is the place where we learn this is the place where we grow together in the relationship of as a church as a body of christ together we grow and we are nurtured in the faith and so the people of god israel is putting this agreement together and saying we are going to follow god faithfully we're going to be responsible in following him and lastly blessings are conditional blessings of god are conditional read with me in nehemiah chapter 9 verses 33 uh, and verse 36 and 37 nehemiah chapter 9 33 in all that has happened to us what is what are they saying look at all that has happened to us in a lie which ebdi ellam poich see what has happened to us nehemiah chapter 9 33 in all that has happened to us you have remained righteous we have been unfaithful 36 and 37 but see we are slaves today see is it it's the same lines look at all that has happened to us see we are slaves today slaves in the land you gave our ancestors so they could eat its fruit and the good things it produces it was given to the ancestors that they will eat its good and eat its fruit and the other good things it produces that they will enjoy the blessing of god it was given to our ancestors but see our condition today we become slaves because of our sins they realize it's because of our sins its abundant harvest goes to the kings you have placed over us the foreign kings they rule over our bodies and our cattle as they please they dictate terms they write down the terms and conditions they say this is what you do this is what you don't do they've lost the freedom the greatest loss a person can ever experiences the loss loss of their own personal freedom you can do what you want you can say what you want you can think the way you want you can function the way you want even the good things that you want to do you can't do the greatest loss a person can ever suffer is a loss of personal freedom they rule over our bodies and our cattle as they please we are in great distress god's blessings are conditional they've lost all because they were not faithful to him we need to realize that those conditions were crossed psalm 37 in closing was 28 and 29 psalm 37 28 and 29 for the lord loves the just and will not forsake his faithful ones wrong doers will be completely destroyed the offspring of the wicked will perish the righteous will inherit the land and dwell in it forever psalm 37 28 29 this good life that we have we want to see that our generation to come will also receive it that the generations to come will also receive it the life of faith the life of godliness the life of blessedness the life of hope 
the life that has that god has given to us this kind of life this way of life the way of christ and his apostles this way of life many people have different ways of life they have different kinds of life but this way of life that god has given to us do you believe that there is a way of life that god has given to us amen there's a way of life that god has given to us this way of life probably if you had good godly ancestors probably was there with them probably was there with you or probably it was not there in the previous generations but there's a good new way of life this godly way of life that you have found that god has brought to you can we hold on to that amen for ourselves and for the sake of our generations to come Psalm 37 28 29 for the lord loves the just and will not forsake his faithful ones how important it is to be faithful to god wrong doers will be completely destroyed the offspring of the wicked will perish the righteous will inherit the land and dwell in it forever it's not so much about inheriting alone it's also important that we inherit and get to dwell i mean it's not about just being blessed now but to be blessed perpetually to be at a place where we can always be blessed by god where god will always find us at a state where he can bless us always hallelujah maybe pray this morning that there will be an intergenerational transfer of godly heritage of godly heritage let's bow our heads in prayer god is faithful not in a duty conscious manner not considering his benefit but for our benefit because he loves us so dearly he wants us to live responsibly and be faithful to him in every decision small or big we take and nothing is without a consequence all our actions have a consequence he wants us to be faithful he wants our generations to come to be faithful so that we can enjoy his blessing and we can also ensure that the children and the generations to come will also be blessed that the faith and the godliness and the generosity the kindness the love will be shared from generation to generation this way of life will go from generation to generation would you pray that lord let this way of life continue in my generation perpetually and from generation to generation if you are a parent if you are grandparents you recognize the gravity of this message with even more understanding greater understanding you know what i'm talking about but even if you are a young person would you pray lord help me to be faithful jesus
Help us to be faithful to your word, to this way of life. There's a way of life that you have ordained for us. Help us to be faithful to this way of life. Not to live any way. Not to live some way. The world lives somehow, some way. No, Lord. We want to live your way. We want to be faithful to you. That our generation will not come under a curse. That the generations to come will not suffer loss. Will not lose their freedom. Will not lose their freedom. That what they, Lord, inherit will continue perpetually, O oh God. We pray for godly heritage to be transferred intergenerationally. Father, we pray for godly heritage to be transferred intergenerationally. This morning we pray, Lord, with all our hearts that godly heritage will be transferred intergenerationally. We pray that no foolish thing will ever be done in our own lives or in the lives of our children. That's a good prayer to pray. Lord, we pray that no unwise thing, no foolish thing will ever be done by us or by our generations to come. Cover everyone. Cover every family. This morning we are praying for every family. Bow down. We are praying for every family. Even those who are not here this morning. We are praying for every family, oh God. That every family will continue in this godly heritage from generation to generation. Generation to generation. We pray your blessing upon us. Every one of us. We pray a blessing. Send us with your heavenly blessings. We give you glory and honor and praise. In Jesus name we pray. Amen.